Open your Bible with me now to the 55th division of the Psalms. The 55th division of the Psalms. 55th division of the Psalms in verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray, and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Our Father, as we come to speak tonight now, we pray that thou will solemnize every heart in this room tonight. And give us thoughts, give us judgment day thoughts tonight. We pray for that old boy in the room tonight. Maybe they've thrown a shoe in the race of life and he's failed and he's stumbling along and he doesn't know just which way to turn. There's some here tonight with burdens that are too heavy to bear. Problems that's too difficult to be solved. Habits that they can that cannot be broken. Pray that thou will help them to realize tonight that you're the burden bearer the problem-solver, and the habit-breaker. We thank you that Satan never forged a chain in the hottest hell to bind people, but what you with your nail-scarred hand can reach down that low and break the shackles and set them free tonight, if they want to be. So bless the message tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. The story tonight is taken from the Old Testament, the text. But it's a beautiful illustration of the life of our Lord Jesus as we find it in the New Testament. The fact of the matter, the closer that one keeps the two books of the Bible together, the better they shall be able to understand their Bible. Someone has said that the Old Testament is the New Testament enfolded. The New Testament is the Old Testament unfolded. In the Old Testament you have the figure. In the New Testament you have the fact. In the Old Testament you have the shadow. In the New Testament you have the substance. Jesus said in the volume of this book, is it written of me? And if you would read your book for profit and pleasure, read in it to find one personality that binds the entire book together. Binds the entire book together. Now this verse seems to be in a rather strange reverse order. Did you notice what he said? Evening and morning, and at noon will I pray, and will cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. I think it was Mr. Spurgeon who said of this text that this man had determined to pray frequently and fervently. So he just set up an altar at each of these three places and determined to fill the day with prayer. And when a man determines to pray like that, the order of the praying amounts to but very little. I'm going to turn it around now and make it read like this. Morning, noon, and night will I pray, and will cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. I'm using this tonight because it's a beautiful illustration of the life of our Lord Jesus as we find it in the New Testament. The more than morning, noon, and night meeting with Jesus. He said, morning, noon, and night will I pray, and will cry aloud. Now, there are different kinds of prayer. And there are different ways of praying. Thou is that there is the loud and the boisterous. And then there is the quiet meditation of feeling yourself in the presence of God. I've done a lot of praying in my time. But I confess to you that very few times in my life have I really felt myself in the presence of God. Very few times have I really felt myself in the presence of God. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman said he was holding a meeting in Melbourne, Australia. 
And he got a message from the praying evangelist of Australia. And he said, I will be in the city on a certain day. Doubtless you will not see me at the tabernacle, but I'll be praying for the meeting. Dr. Chapman said there came a day when that meeting took on a peculiar interest and a peculiar power. And it lasted for some ten days. And then my phone rang and the man said, I'm leaving the city. I'd like to see you before I leave. I went to his room in the hotel. We sat and talked for a while. And then he said, before you go, shall we not pray together? And it seemed to me for five minutes we knelt side by each. And it seemed to me for five minutes he never uttered a word. Until there came such a holy hush and such a feeling and such a sense of the presence of God. Until I felt like it was almost sacrilegious to breathe. And in the midst of that God-charged atmosphere, he slipped his arm around me and simply said, O God, put thy power upon this thy servant, for I believe he will honor thee. Amen. He said, I rose from my knees a different man. If we would ever learn once to take time to be holy. Speak off with the Lord. I went to Canada in my early twenties. I went to Canada for campaigns. One thing that impressed me, everyone that would come in, I hadn't been used to that, everyone that would come into the service would come with their Bible under their arm. They never talked. They found a seat. They sat down, bowed their head and prayed. Never talked. When I stood up to preach, I announced the text. I, I never started to preach until they'd all found the text. Refer to the scriptures, they'll turn to it. And I'd better put it straight to her. Some good old Scotch, Scotch sister will pull a Bible out from under a shawl and said, But mom, this is what the book says. When I had finished my sermon and they stood and I dismissed them, they sat back down. They bowed their heads and prayed and silently went away. You felt like you'd been in the presence of God. I will pray and I will cry aloud. Sometimes you feel like putting your all into it. Sometimes you cry out like the one who said, I will not let thee go unless thou dost bless me. Sometimes you wrestle with him in intercessory prayer. I think the intercessory prayer is the Holy Spirit praying through you. Let me ask you something. Did you ever in prayer, did you ever find yourself praying for something that you'd never even thought about? You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit praying through you and bringing to your remembrance things that he had said unto you. I know people say, Dr. Lake and I prayed for something and it wasn't the will of God. God didn't answer, well, honey, let me tell you something. God didn't lead you to pray that way. God never led a person to pray for anything that was against his will. So be sure that it's in the will of God. I will pray, and I will cry aloud like David Brainerd, who prayed for the American Indians. And though it was wintertime, he wrestled with God until his garments were as wet with perspiration as if they'd been dipped in a river. I will pray and I will cry aloud. Now listen to this. And he shall hear my voice. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God hears you when you pray? Someone asked me, he said, Dr. Lincoln, do you believe in divine healing? Yes, I don't believe in divine healers. 
I believe in divine healing. And yes, I believe that God heals and answers the prayer. Not everybody. Because God has a purpose in sickness. And sometimes it's for chastisement. Sometimes it's for refinement. Sometimes it's for fellowship. Listen to me, my friend. Sometimes it is. I do not believe that everyone, everyone is to be healed because God has a purpose. And said to me not long ago, a preacher said to me, I think the day of miracles are past. I don't think God uh, uh, the healing business anymore. I said, why don't you quit being a hypocrite then and going around the hospital praying for sick folks? Amen. You say, Dr. Lake, can you believe in healing? Yes, because I was healed. I remember when I was at the Cato Tabernacle. I had an x-ray, and the x-ray showed that my spinal, that I had spinal arthritis, and my spine had begun to crumble. I had a brace on my spine. I wore a brace. I leaned on the pulpit like that to preach sometimes. Sometimes I leaned on a chair to take the pressure off. I came out to our home, a little method, a little Wesleyan Methodist preacher from West Virginia. Stayed all he spent the night with us and got up the next morning. I was still in bed and he said to Mrs. Lakey, I believe God would heal him. And she said, why don't you have Harry to pray for you? He knelt on one side of the bed and she knelt on the other. And he prayed. Something happened. I don't have any brace. Amen. Something happened. I don't have any brace. I will pray and I will cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Two men I've had associated with me were the greatest men of prayer that I've ever known. Singers. One was Ray, Ray Walker, a little fellow from Mississippi. He was with me off and on for 18 years. Ray Walker prayed our meetings out of more than once. I remember I was in Illinois in a big tent and things had gone dead. It was tight. Nothing would move. I got on the phone and located him down in Louisiana. I said, Ray, get in your car and come here as soon as you can and pray this thing out for me. He said, I'll be there. And he came. He took his car. He went and got him some folding chairs at the church. He'd go over into a, he'd go over into a home here on one side of the city at nine o'clock and have the woman in the, that had the home, she'd have to bring her friends all in for a prayer meeting. Then at, 11, at 10 o'clock, he'd move on to another section, put up his folding chairs and the community would come in. I saw him have those prayer meetings all day long. He said, don't you come now. You just stay away. Let me do this. I saw him pray until the power of God would fall and the men and people would be saved on every corner. The other man was Sam Rayburn, the old converted barber of Waco, Texas. He was with Dr. T.T. Martin for 20 years. Dr. Martin said Sam was the greatest man of prayer. T.T. used to say if Sam would pray for me to die, I'd go and buy my coffin. I'll, I believe that God hears him when he prays. He'd speak in Dr. Martin's meeting every morning for a week. He'd speak on a New Testament church at prayer. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, this is what he'd preach every morning. They were all in the same place at the same time for the same thing and claiming the same promise. And the promise was this, for whatsoever things, and he'd bear down on things, for whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them. And you shall have them. And then old Sam would say, do you ever pray about things? Do you pray about things? He said, I was on, I've been on the road for years in evangelistic work. 
If I wanted a hat, a new hat, I asked God for one. If I wanted a black hat, I asked him for a black hat. If I wanted a white hat, I asked him for a white hat. Uncle, that's like Uncle Bud. Uncle Bud Robinson said, a lady said to him, said, Brother Bud, my husband died and left a new suit of clothes. And the Lord told me to give it to you. You come up and try it on. If it'll fit you, I'll give it to you. Uncle Bud said, Sister, did the Lord tell you to give it to me? Said, yes. Said, well, if he told you to give it to me, said, there ain't no use to try it on. He, he knows my size. It'll fit me. Let me tell you something. One morning, Sam was preaching. They were holding a meeting in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Three or four hundred women in the morning prayer meeting. Someone would stand up and make a request for prayer. Then all over the room in undertone, they'd pray for that one thing. And then quote the promise, for whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them. Then another one would stand and they'd pray for that. And Sam would keep bearing down, and whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them. He'd keep bearing down on it until they'd get to have a little enough sense to believe that God would answer their prayer. And he said, one morning in Dyersburg, Tennessee, an old lady stood up and said, Brother Raber, I got two boys somewhere. I want you to pray today that the Lord will save them and make them send me a telegram. Next morning, he said, nine o'clock came, I came to the church, and an old lady said, Well, Brother Rayburn, your old woman didn't get her prayer answered, did she? Sam said, I don't know, sister, but I know one thing, you didn't help her none. She said, I started praying, Lord, send that old woman out here. Lord, send that old woman out here. 9.15, she hadn't come. 9.30, she hadn't come. 9.45, I heard that old cane coming through the vestibule of the church. Peck, peck, and as she came through, she held up two telegrams and said, Praise the Lord, Brother Rayburn, here they are. She went down that morning to the telegraph office and said, Has my telegrams come yet? Fellow said, You're looking for a message? She said, Yeah, I'm going to get two this morning. She went over and sat down, and every little while she'd come over and say, Has my telegrams come yet? God said it, I believe it, that settles it. If we could get men and women to take hold of God and believe, all things are possible to him that believeth, amen. But you say, Brother Lincoln, I've prayed. I'll never forget one morning in West Logan, West Virginia. I was about 25 then. We were in a meeting. We had 10 o'clock services in those days. Every morning we had service at 10 o'clock. One morning a lady stood up and said, I want you to pray for Jim. Her husband, he was a big railroad engineer. He works at nights. And I said to her after the service, I said, what time does he get up of a morning? And she said he gets up about 10 o'clock. After the service, I went down. I went down to his little white cottage. I walked up on the porch. The door was ajar. And I saw Big Jim sitting there in an overstuffed chair with his hand on the arms of the chair like that. And I saw this little woman down on her knees in front of him and her hands on his knees. And she was looking up into his face and the tears were dripping off of her chin. And she said, Jim, Jim, honey, if you don't get saved, Jim, I'm going to die if you don't get saved. That night, Big Jim laid off from work. I preached him down the aisle. He came and fell at that altar like a sack of sand. I saw a woman come in one morning to my meeting in St. Albans, West Virginia. She stood up to, that morning and said, 
I want my husband saved. And I want him saved today. That's what I want. Never been in the service. All over the room that morning we prayed. That night, pastor came in. They said the pastor had gone to see someone. pastor came in when I was almost ready to preach. And he stood up and said, I've just been up to so-and-so's house. And he got saved. And he's coming to join the church tonight. The next morning when we drove on the parking lot, and this woman got out of her car, and she came in shouting into the church, and she said, Brother Lincoln, I told you it was going to happen yesterday. I told you it was going to happen yesterday. God, let us see some manifestation of God's power. We're not touching the hem of the garment. I've gone through a lot of the great crusades, they call them. They'd have no more conviction and no more con- about it than a Chautauqua Lyceum program used to have. You can't organize them. You can't buy them. You can't advertise them up. If you're going to have a revival, there's got to be a few people that will get together. Dr. Torrey said, I've given a prescription for revival around the world. Wherever they took it, it did never fail to bring revival. He said, let a few people, there need not be many. Let a few people get thoroughly right with God themselves. Unless they do that, nothing else matters. Then let them come in together to pray until the heavens open and God comes down. And then let them put themselves at his disposal to be used of him when and where he will and the revival is already on. Listen, my friend. Morning, noon, and night will I pray and will cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. I want you to turn with me. In John's Gospel, chapter 21. In John's Gospel, chapter 21, and verse 4. Here's the morning meeting with Jesus. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast your net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore their nets. They were not able to draw them for the multitude of fishes. Let me say this to you. Three and a half years before this, Jesus walked along with the Sea of Galilee. They found some men casting their nets into the sea. And he said, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishes of men. In another place it said, From henceforth you shall catch men. And they left their nets, they left their nets, and they followed him. They hadn't gone very far until they began to reason among themselves about who's going to be the greatest. They want to know who's going to sit on the right hand and on the left hand. You know, human nature hasn't changed much, has it? Old brother and sister Diotrephes is still around that want the chief place. They want to know who's going to be chairman of the board. They want to know who's going to be who all these specials singing. They want to know who's going to be the big shot. Listen, and he said, who's going to sit on the right hand and on the left? And Jesus then announced to them and said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be crucified. And Peter, upon whom you could always depend, Peter spoke up and said, Be it far from you, Lord, this will never happen unto you. He said, I've got news for you, Peter. Not only a cross for me, but there's one for you also. And if you would come after me, you'll have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. 
They went up to Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified. They took him down from the cross and spit him into a tomb and rolled a stone to the door of the tomb. And despondency and dejection and gloom settled down upon those disciples. And they said, have we been invited into this marvelous fellowship for three and a half years to have it so suddenly terminated? Why, to take him suddenly out of your life would be like taking the sun out of the heavens. They said, well, we never see him anymore. We've never seen him anymore. And they went back down to the Sea of Galilee, walking up and down the shore of the lake. The lure of the old life came back to them. It's a bad thing to go back to the old haunts. Stay away from the old haunts. Stay away from the old places. You don't live here anymore. Amen. Don't go to those old places. Like I was going to talk about Samson this morning, and I didn't. But you know one thing about Samson, when he had his eyes poked out and bound with fetters of breath, his hair began to grow out, and then he just felt his old power and strength coming back. He felt his old power and strength coming back, and he began to get back to God, and he said, no, Dagon didn't do it, Dagon didn't do this, I did it myself. And then he prayed. You know what? When they were one day they were having a big blowout and they wanted Samson to play clown. Unknown to them and unnoticed by them, the hair of his head had begun to grow again. And the boy led him out there and he began to feel the thrill of the old power. And he said, hey kid, lead me over here and let me feel the pillars of this temple. And then he felt the pillars of the temple and then he looked up and started and prayed. And he said, I know I'm not fit to be heard. I've disgraced you down here. I've disgraced you. And I know I'm not fit to be heard, but I want you to hear me one more time. Why? Because he said, I'd rather die than to live among these Philistines. I'd rather die than to live among these Philistines. And he bowed himself together and brought it down with a crash and killed more in his death than he had in his life. You know what I think he said? I'd rather die than to live among these Philistines. Would you say tonight, Dr. Lincoln, I'd rather die than to live outside the will of God? I'd rather die than to live outside the will of God. That's what I'm saying. I said to my wife not long ago, my life has been a miracle. I can't understand it. I said to a man the other day, my life has been a miracle to me. People come to hear me. I said, I don't know why they I don't know why people would come to hear me preach. I don't know. I don't know. But you know something? I said, I'd rather die than to be set aside. I'd rather die than to be outside the will of God. Walking up and down the shore of the... They went down and Peter said, I'm going fishing. That's the power of suggestion. And the other said, we will also go with you. That's the power of influence. And they got their boats and their nets, and they went out in the same waters, and they let them down and brought them up and let them down and brought them up. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the bank. He'd been there all night, but they didn't know it. He was there last night. When you were asleep, I wonder if you recognized him when you awoke this morning. I found when I take time to recognize him, 
when I take time to recognize Him and have a little visit with Him of a morning, the day passes smoothly. But when I'm in a hurry and I rush out of the day without time to have a little meeting with Him, you know, I try to live like this. The last thing I do, I keep my Bible on my nightstand right beside my bed. The last thing I read some out of that. I read some out of that. And then I put my Bible back. And then I say, Good night, Jesus. I'll see you in the morning. And when he stood on the bank, he was on the bank of the hour of your bereavement and disappointment and sorrow and trouble. He was there to recognize him. And he said, this is the only time in the Bible he ever seemed to be sarcastic. He said, hey, children, have you any meat? You've seen a fellow come from fishing, you say, hey, catch anything? Peter told the truth that time and said, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. That could be written over the door facing of a lot of churches in Lakeland now. Did you know that? The only thing that points toward heaven is the steeple. The only thing that points toward heaven is the steeple. We've toiled all night and caught nothing. Of course, Peter wasn't a modern preacher. If he'd have been a modern preacher, he'd have said the fish aren't running. If he'd have been a modern preacher, he said the wind's not right. If he'd have been a modern preacher, he'd have said, you can't expect to catch fish in mass today. But Peter didn't say that. He just ate some humble pie and said, we've failed. We toiled all night and caught nothing. And Jesus said to them, Cast your net on the right side of the ship, on the other side of the ship, and you shall find. They said, What does that long-haired Nazarene know about fishing? We're experts. Yeah, but you haven't caught anything. I know, but we've had all the training courses. I know, but you haven't caught anything. I know, but we have all the seals. We got blue seals and red seals and white seals. You talk about being sealed. We're well sealed. Amen. We've had training. Well, it's time to go to war every now and then. Amen. And he said, cast your net on the other side. He said, nevertheless, at thy word, we'll let down the net. At thy word. And they let it down and the thing was filled with fishes. There was one fellow in the boat that, what filled it? It wasn't their ingenuity, it wasn't their know-how. I'll tell you what filled it. It was the presence of the master on the bank. And when it was noised abroad that he was in the house, they came. Listen, there was one fellow in the boat that morning had sense enough to know the one, but one person could do that. That is John. And John said, that's the Lord. And Peter said, whoopee. And Peter jumped out and went swimming out. He did the shouting. And left the other boys to pull the net in. Amen. I've seen folks who holler amen and praise God and jump high till you go to pay the church debt and they let somebody else pull the net in. Let me tell you something. He's not interested in how high you jump. It's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. That's the thing that counts. A lot of church people remind me of a little locomotive they had up yonder in the mountains of Elizabeth, at Elizabethan, Tennessee. This little engine took this up this little narrow ra gauge railroad and went puffing up there to get to haul timber out of the mountain. And it'd go puffing up with those cars and could just barely get along. But he could make it, the little engine could make it till it whistled, then it stopped. It didn't have enough steam to whistle and run at the same time. I've seen some church folks could whistle, but they didn't run, amen. 
I want you to know one thing. The hallelujah whistle doesn't pull the train. That doesn't pull the train. And when they said, listen, Peter said, that's the, gee, John said, that's the Lord. And Peter came swimming to shore, and the other boys came dragging the net in. Peter shouted and left the other boys to pull in the net. And when they came to the shore, what did they see? Not whom, but what? They saw a fire of coals burning and fish lying thereon. Where else in the New Testament do you find the fire of coals? And Peter warmed himself with a fire and then cursed and said, I never knew him. I believe when Peter saw this fire, he remembered that other fire. And conviction seized him and he dropped his eyes and looked into the fire and Jesus sensed the situation and he thrust his hand across the fire and grasped the hand of Peter. There's a difference in the hand of Peter since Jesus since the last time Peter shook it. It's got a nail hole in it now. And then he said, Peter, it's all forgotten. He said, Sigh, listen, you remember what? His name, when the, he first met the Lord, his name was Simon. And he said, your name shall not be Simon anymore, but Petros, stone, rock, solid. And when he said that day, Simon, Simon, Peter said, there's my old name back again. There's my old name back again. Simon meant wavering, vacillating, not dependable. But Peter meant stone. And he called him around the table that morning for a breakfast. I don't know where he got the fish. Maybe he took them out of their nets. But he caught, wouldn't you love to have eaten some of the biscuits Jesus baked? And he called him around the table. And he served a three-course meal that morning. I never want my meals to come in courses. I get hungry between spells. I like the way my mom used to do it. Put it all on the table and say, Fetch your cheers, kids, and come on. We started six inches with the table, and when we touched, we knew we had enough. My mother never knew anything about indigestion, tonsillitis, pajamas. If we, had, if we ate too many green apples and took the curls, she poured a bottle of castor oil down us, and her appendix as well in a few days. If we took tonsillitis, she swabbed us out with a little coal oil. Amen. Listen, when we go to bed at night with a stomach ache and put a hot stove lid on, I've gotten up in the morning look like an elephant stepped on me. Oh, she didn't know anything about calories, don't eat this, don't eat that. No, no. Called them around the table and served the first meal, the first course. Then he served the second one and said, Lovest thou me? He said, Yea, thou knowest that I love thee. Then he served the third course and said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? What, these fish, these nets? You love me more than you, what you eat and drink? Do you love me more than your business, your boats and your nets? Do you love me more than these, what these friends of yours? Do you leave me, love me more than you do your social club, your little club? Do you love me more? And then he said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest all things. I want to preach a sermon on that someday. Thou knowest all things. Then he said, Feed my lambs. Would you love to have been there for that breakfast that morning? 
But I couldn't make it for that. But there'll be a supper some of these days when I'll be there. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I believe we can have fellowship. I say, Lord, who is this? He said, you remember the little boy that came in on the bus one day and you preached and he got saved. Nobody paid him much mind. That's him. And I said, Lord, who is this? He said, you remember the old drunk down on Skid Row when you preached one night in the old mission? Went down after you'd preached in church and preached in the old mission and he got saved? That's the one. That's the one. That's going to make the toil of the road to seem nothing, my friend, when I come face to face. Morning, noon, and night will I pray and will cry aloud. I want you to turn to the noon meeting. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. I want you to see this one. And verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, being weary with the journey, sat thus on the well, and was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. Give me to drink. Let me ask you this. I've, also, I've been in the Holy Land several, but nine times. And I'm sure the pastor noticed this. The Arab women always go to the well in the early morning. And they go in companies. They go in companies. I watched them in Jericho as they went down to the well with their water pots on their heads. But they go in the early morning. Here is a woman that comes at noon to the well. And I said, I wonder why. Because she was a woman of bad reputation. She was a woman that had had five husbands and was living with one then that she wasn't married to. I think maybe this poor woman might have felt that she wasn't welcome in the society of those women. She said, I do not want to be embarrassed or have cold looks cast at me, so I'll wait and go alone. Jesus, sitting on the well curb, engaged her in conversation. I'm glad some people I know didn't see him talking to her. Some old woman would have got up with her hair hanging down her back and a shoe on one foot and a slipper on the other, and her old gab carburetor running about 60 miles an hour, and hanging over the back fence and said, Did you see him talking to that there woman? I don't guess there's anything to it, but it sure looked awful suspicious. But I shouldn't tell you. Don't be afraid to tell me I'm not that kind. <laughs> Amen. Gossip. Just making yourself a sewer ditch to convey the filth around from one to another. Did you know all the gossip in there? You know a hummingbird will pass up all the carrion that can be had? And get the honey out of a blossom and take it away, and a buzzard will pass up every flower in the country? and land on a dead carcass and fill himself full and vomit it on somebody. Amen. You know the reason why you're finding all the gossip in the dirt? You're a buzzard. You're welcome. Amen. You said it's the truth. Suppose it was. Be a little lot more decent of you to keep your mouth shut about it. Amen. Uncle Bud Robertson said a woman came one night and he was preaching on put things on the altar. And she said, Brother Bud, I feel like I ought to put my tongue on the altar. He said, Sister, it's only 18 feet long, but do the best you can with it. I used to have a cow could lick her calf through the fence. But I had a neighbor could lick her neighbor in the next block. Amen. Sitting there talking to her. 
And Jesus said, give me to drink. You asking drink of me? He said, if you only knew who it was that was talking to you. That's what I feel, amen. If I could only tell you, tell you about him as I've seen him. If I could only tell you about him as I've seen him, as I've walked the streets and daydreams and night visions, I wish I could tell you about him as he's revealed himself to me. And many times in prayer I've said, Lord, I'll go into the pulpit and I'll tell the people about you just as I've seen you. But when I get here, the dew's gone from the grass and the fragrance from the flowers. And it's so hard to see. And then he said, if you only knew who it was, you'd ask living water. And I'd give you water that I have water to drink that you know not of. She said, how are you going to when the well is deep? It's 120 feet deep. The well is deep and you have nothing to draw. I'd give you a well of water springing, bubbling up unto everlasting life. And then he said, call your husband. And she said, I have no husband. He said, you're right, you've had fire. When he said that, he put his finger on her, on her sore spot. But that woman met Jesus and went back into the city and said, come and see a man. That told me all things that I ever did. And she turned the whole town. If that woman of bad name and bad reputation and bad character, if that woman could meet Jesus and then be, and turn a whole town to Christ, what could some of you with, with influence and with financial standing and social standing, what could you do for Christ if you'd set out to do it, my friend, to knock on doors and lead men and women to Christ? What could you do? Disciples came and said something about eating. He said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. They said, did somebody give him something to eat? No, I'll tell you what it was. A conversation with a godless woman had taken the appetite of Jesus. Had taken the appetite of Jesus. Ah, beloved, listen to me. He said, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. By prayer and fasting. That's the noon meeting with Jesus. I want you to notice another one, my friend. In John chapter 20 and verse 19. In chapter 20 and verse 19. And here it is, the evening meeting. Then the same day at evening when the door was shut, the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them with, and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Through a closed door he came and stood in the midst of them. He's so close, wasn't he close to them? He's so close to them they could feel him breathe. I felt him peculiarly near me in the past few months as I've tried to preach the gospel. And then he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when he showed them his hands and his side. I want to show you something tonight. A little girl sitting in the home one day, her mother went about with her, with her hands tied up in her apron like that, rolled up. One day she came in unexpectedly and she had her hands uncovered. And she looked at them and said, Mama, what's the matter your hands? They look more like claws. They're the ugliest hands I've ever seen. And she said, Dear, <coughs> I never told you. But when you were a little thing, the house caught on fire. And your crib got on fire upstairs, and I ran up the stairs. 
My clothing caught on fire, and the and the fire clothes cut off our escape. And I leaped out of the out of the window. I caught on the trellis work. I held you, <coughs> and my hands were burned and torn until they've always been so ugly. I never wanted you to see them. And then she took her hands and put her face in them. And while the tears ran through the twisted fingers, she said, "Mama, though the prettiest hands I've ever seen, they saved me." Let me show you a hand tonight that was warped and twisted and scarred and burned, as it plucked you as a brand from the eternal burning, as it plucked you as a brand from the eternal burning. Our children, Texas, old Dr. Daniel Buckner founded an orphanage, the Buckner Orphan Home. He'd go away to raise funds for the orphanage, and when he'd bring them back, they'd bring in. When he'd come back, they'd bring the kids, they'd bring the little children in by classes. He'd take each one of them up on his lap, put his arms around them, and kiss each one of them. They had a little girl whose mother had been burned to death in a fire, and her underlip had been burned off till her teeth protruded. She ran and hid. Doctor Buckner said, "Where, where is the little girl?" And the teacher said, "She ran and hid." He said, "You go and fetch her." They brought her, and he took her and put her. I took her up on his lap. Hugged her to his bosom and said, "Honey, why did you run from Daddy Buckner?" She said, "Daddy Buckner, I was so ugly I didn't think you'd want to kiss me." And he pressed her to his bosom and smothered her face with kisses, while the tears ran down over his beard. He said, "Honey, don't you ever run from Daddy Buckner anymore, because that's the way Daddy Buckner came to his great heavenly Father, all burned and warped and twisted and scarred by sin." God just took Daddy Buckner up in His arms and kissed his sin all the way. Listen, you mothers know what it is when the day is done. You never, you may have a nurse or a maid, but you know something. You never go to bed at night until you've gone in yonder, smoothed out the covers, brushed back the little, brushed back the hair, and put a kiss of good night on the little cheek. Said good night. You know what I said? I said, Lord, help me live so each day that when I come to the end of the day, I said, Lord, don't let me sleep now tonight until every wrong of this day has been righted. Smooth out all the wrinkles, straighten out all the rough places, and let me sleep with a kiss of divine benediction upon me. Morning, noon, and night will I pray. Cry aloud, and He shall hear my voice. I walk with the Lord, Hallelujah. I walk with the Lord, praise His name. No longer I roam, my soul faces morning, noon, and night.